What is the Podcast of Matrix? The Podcast of Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. With the world of comic books and pop culture ever changing, how are fans meant to keep up with the trends in the industry? Is the new event from the Big Two worth reading? What's the story on that show from that network about that hero from that comic book? Can I trust a movie review from someone who hasn't even read the source material? We have the answers you seek. These are my Big Fat Pull List's current issues. Welcome to another edition of Current Issues, where your hosts turn their heads away from the seriousness of reality and focus more on geek things like comics, video games, movies, and other pop culture-related materials. I am Mr. X. I'm Smurfy. I'm Dr. Impact. Coming to you live from the scene, it's Marv Danger. Our top stories for this episode include solving a multi-decades-long mystery in Three Jokers, getting a new history lesson in X of Swords, banging our heads to DC's death metal, and exploring a galaxy far, far away with The Mandalorian Season 2. Spoiler warning. From this moment on, spoilers are in effect. In the show notes for this episode on our website, we will have listed the time code for each of these segments. So if you do not want to be spoiled by something that we're talking about, just skip ahead, go watch, read, or do what you have to, and then finish the episode later. You have been warned. Marv Danger reporting on a follow-up story that we covered previously in a war between Batman, the Red Hood, and Batgirl. How many jokers does it take to screw in a light bulb? Three. Seven. Hundreds, no, the answer, the, the answer is three. Oh. <laughs> I'll let you know when one of them shows up to try and do it. ba 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 We previously discussed the first issue of Three Jokers. Mm-hmm. And since then, all three issues of Three Jokers has come out. Three Jokers is the story of the three Jokers that have existed since the Joker existed. The comedian, the clown, and the criminal. In the first issue, we didn't want to spoil it, but in the, uh, now we will. Because the first issue ends with the death of the clown. Yeah. <gasps> the whole point of this series is the three Jokers... Only one can be out at a particular time for as long as they're out. And then they switch to another one. And each Bat family member has a very specific memory from each one of these. Batman is the criminal. Uh, I want to say Barbara Gordon is the clown. No, comedian. 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 And then, yeah. And then uh, Red Hood is the clown. And well, Batman. Batman's had experience with all of them. Well, each of them has experience with all of them. But these are the, the ones that they sink to the most in the first issue they're the ones that they have the flashbacks and think of 
Sadly, and, this is a black label title, so technically doesn't connect to continuity. Um, it's it does, from what I'm told. Yes. Okay. So it does, so this is this is continuity. This so is, if this continuity. is continuity. Then why aren't we talking about the Joker that had his the skin of his face removed? That is the comedian Joker because there is one panel in issue three that shows that version of the Joker with the sides of his head shaved and the and the little tuft on the top of his head from oh. Death of the Family, which I've never I've not read Death of the Family because I did not read a lot of the New Fifty Two stuff. Right, but from what I've understood and. Our listeners out there, if I'm wrong, please prove me wrong. Let, let us know. From what I understood, the death of the family Joker is the Joker who got his face removed and it was somehow put back on. But since I didn't read it, I don't know how that was done. Okay. okay. I don't know, but I'll just say Lazarus Pit. There we are. We've done it. We've the first book ends with the death of the clown being shot by Jason Todd. Yep. Right After- through the damn brain. After it's revealed that Jason Todd, in begging for his life, said, I'll be your Robin. To which the Joker remarked, look at you. You're wearing the red hood. You really are my little Robin. Bang. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's good. The second issue comes around and it's the comedian and the criminal. And they're going after, still trying to find out. But it's also the side story of Barbara Gordon dealing with Jason Todd because she witnessed him just gun down the Joker live and in person and her coming to conflict of whether or not she should arrest Jason Todd for what he did. Because the issue becomes, if she does, not only will it unmask Jason Todd, but it'll have to unmask her because she's the only eyewitness. Yeah. And then all of that will just point every Mm -hmm. finger towards Bruce Wayne. Correct. And then what it eventually comes down to is you find out that they've selected their candidate for the new Joker because they want this Joker to be a a standalone. They want him to have meaning. They want it to be personal to Bruce Wayne because they know who Batman is. And in doing so, they select Joe Chill to be the new Joker. That's very twisty. But what you come to find out is Joe Chill has stage four cancer or late stage cancer. And so Batman doesn't think that he will survive, but they just assume that throwing him in the chemicals will cure not only the cancer, but turn him into the ultimate Joker. Because yeah, yeah. evidently the Joker like mix is like its own type of Lazarus pit. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> what then happens is as Batman slowly pieces all this together he goes to joe chill's jail cell and finds these letters that he had written to bruce wayne long time ago and as it's happening you find out that joe chill was incredibly sorry and the comedian actually records joe chill's confession as to why he did it and as this is playing batman is in the monarch theater because this is where the final showdown's going to happen yeah because it makes the most sense to happen there. And you find out that Joe Chill was angry at the Waynes because he believed that for everything they had, it's because they took it from someone like him. And so he gunned them down thinking he was going to be some avenging angel. 
the you know the working man's criminal as to be right. only to see too late that they had a son and then even after that learning all that the Waynes did to help the underprivileged and so as this video is playing batman is fighting with the criminal and he ends up being able to save joe chill not once but i want to say two twice. times yes twice saves one. his life twice right once from being thrown in the dip and then once from a building that's about to collapse joe chill just thanks batman and batman says you're welcome and that and it's kind of set there that that time batman forgives joe chill and kind of puts a check mark on that part of his life. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, you the way that you read it, it's like Batman realizes Joe Chill wasn't an evil person. He has reformed since doing what he did and all the anger that he's carried all these years for Joe Chill, he's finally able to let some of that, not all of it, but some of that go. Which right. leads to the final conversation that he has with the comedian in the back of the paddy wagon. In the back of the paddy wagon, after the comedian has Hold blown on. the brains, mm-hmm. I, I'm stealing this one from you. Blown I the brains out, out of the criminal. Oh my god, that's super twisty. Take the big twist. You t- that's you t- not the big, t- dude. That's-, that's not the big twist. If that's what you think is the big twist, then you weren't reading it correctly. Because the big twist is the whole reason why the comedian came up with this scenario is because he wanted to be the only Joker that mattered to Batman. That's the twist. Oh, that's sweet. Correct. That is the twist, and you kind of glossed over all that when you just said that he shot him in the head. Doesn't matter, though. In one final effort, the comedian tries to not only kill Batman, Joe Chill, but also himself. Because you find out that his jokerization is kind of imperfect. And so whenever he laughs, it just hurts. And he, it hurts so bad he cries. And then, yes, his head is shot. And the Joker, the comedian, immediately surrenders. And then lays out his whole plan to Batman, saying he has now healed Batman. So that the only thing that can hurt him is the comedian himself. And he's, and he just goes on about, he is the chaos of his life. He is everything about that. And eventually what it comes down to the comedian orchestrated this whole plot to be, as Mr. X put it, the only one in Batman's life to cause him pain. He even says, I know who you are. I know he says their names, Jason Todd, Barbara Mm -hmm. Gordon, Bruce Wayne, doesn't matter what your name is because if I'll they, never tell. Yeah, because if they find out who you are, you might stop doing what you do, and that's no fun for me. What we also find out about this is through this whole time, Batman has known the name of the Joker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as he says, it doesn't matter what his name is. It matters what he does. And the only... I, gentlemen, I, I, I really loved this book. Uh, The only thing that I didn't care for, uh, there's a bit of a spark of romance between Barbara Gordon and Jason Todd, because through the book, you kind of see through Bruce's eyes that each of them came out of a similar situation, completely different. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. And as he says to Barbara, he wishes Jason was more like her. 
And then as he confesses to Jason, he's like, I'm sorry, I failed you. Let me help you. And there's a small love story that kind of goes on where they connect on like this pain level, I want to say. And the only thing that I didn't like about it was at the very end, Jason Todd confesses his love for Barbara Gordon by leaving a note taped to her door. But before he's even left the hallway, the tape has peeled the note off the door and then it's swept up and she'll never see it. And it's just like, come on, dude, you're a bat and you can't use duct tape, duct tape or use right. something you can't, better. You can't afford mm-hmm. better adhesive. Yeah, it's like... Why would you even tape it to the door? Yeah. Slide it under the door. That, mm-hmm. Come on. I, I, I have to agree with you. Out of everything, out of 99% of really cool things, and I'm even okay with the the budding... Not, it's not even a budding romance. It was a moment that meant more for Jason than it did for Barbara. Yeah. And I'm fine with that, but this whole... I'm going to leave you a note telling you what I would do for you if you give me a chance to be with you. And if you if, if you do not respond to me, I, I understand. I'll never bring it up again. I, I mean, it's, it, that is almost like that's a that's a cheap writer's ploy of don't worry. We'll never bring this up again if you don't bring it up first. Right. And that well, she can't bring it up because she never read the notes. Uh, it, it's a writer's ploy. It's a trick. Jeff John should know better. So 99 out of a hundred percent for this mini series. And, and yes, it does end on a, what, why, why would you do that? But something that you didn't bring up, sir, which I thought was the coolest thing about this entire mini series was Batman. I'm sorry, Bruce and Alfred are having a conversation and Alfred's like, well, perhaps we'll never know the identity of the Joker. And Bruce is like, come on, I'm Batman. I found out his identity a week after he showed up. And it's all about keeping his wife and his child safe. Because if the world ever knew the true identity of the comedian version of the Joker, then they would find his wife, who supposedly died but didn't, gave birth to a child and are now living in like witness protection in Alaska. Batman slash Bruce Wayne knows all this, and that is the secret that he cannot share with anybody, except for evidently, you know, Alfred. Well, Alfred will take it to his grave. And see, that kind of thing is why I have major problems with this book. As a story on its own, three issues, you just read it as its own or as a spiritual sense of a follow-up to the killing joke, it's fantastic. There's very little wrong with it. But when they came out and said that, no, this is continuity, this does connect to the events that occurred at the end of the Dark Side War, right before Rebirth kicked in, this thing is all over the freaking board. First off, Alfred's alive. And that means that if it's actually continuity, it has to take place way before City of Bane. Now, if Batman books are already at issue 100... City of Bane was at issue 75. You're talking 25 issues ago at the bare minimum that this has to take place at. 
The other thing is the Red Hood is wearing the Red Hood. He's not wearing the face mask that he now wears, which sets it back even further. Hmm. So now you're talking about this is a story that is coming out now, but takes place years ago. And if he knew who the Joker was from day one, from the week after he appeared, then why, when Batman was sitting in the Mobius chair back during the Dark Side War, did he even ask the question in the first place? Yeah. And and those are it's that kind of stuff that shows up in this book that I have problems with. It's the same issues that I had with Jeff John's Doomsday Clock. As a 12-issue run on its own, it was freaking amazing. As a follow-up to Watchmen, it was brilliant on every level. As an explanation and a connection to what is DC Comics continuity currently, and an explanation to what went wrong with the New 52, it, it, it's a it's a big, big, big misstep. And that's the same thing that's happening here with the Three Jokers. And I don't know why it had to be made as a Black Label book. It, you know, you've set it up in the regular continuity to be a question that needs to be answered. It has come up multiple times over the course of Rebirth and after. And yet now we're going to do it as a Black Label book. It's in continuity. But then that begs the question, how much of it is in continuity? Yeah. And that bothers me about it. Well, I guess that goes to show the dangers of being a primarily DC reader because you're the one who gets to see the cracks in the veneer Mm -hmm. where the rest of us who just wanted a really cool story, read a cool story, had very Mm -hmm. little, very little to complain about from, from our last current issues episode where Smurfy talked about the beginnings of the Joker war. I'm reading Mm -hmm. issue three of three jokers and I'm like, Wow, we're at the Monarch Theater again. Didn't, again. didn't weren't we at the Monarch Theater mm-hmm. in the Joker War? So it's almost like it's almost like we're rehashing the same beats every and, time we tell a Batman story. And that's you know the, the recently the Joker War really plays on the fact that the Joker knows who Batman is, and he knows that he's Bruce Wayne, and he takes down the whole Wayne Empire essentially. Well. Is that what he's alluding to at the end in the paddy wagon when he says, I'm going to make your life a living hell? Okay, you, you can connect that and say that it takes place way before. But then was that the Joker that that has been doing this? Or is this new Joker in the Joker War a totally different guy? Because he doesn't act the same way as the comedian. And it, it's an it's an editorial issue that I have, mm, and I just have it yeah. in general with comics. Someone in the editorial office either did not catch and point these things out, or did, and was told, "Screw it, do it anyway." Mind your business. We're do, we're rolling. We're going live. <laughs> right. So those are my grievances. Sorry. Back to you, Pistol. Well, what about you, loyal listeners? Have you read Three Jokers? And if so, what did you think? What happens when your tarot card reading turns up the X of Swords? It's taken a little time, folks, but the first 
official crossover for the X-Men titles has arrived. And it is X of Swords or Ten of Swords because, you know, using using the good old Roman numerals. And we're only going to be reviewing the first 11 chapters. And yeah, I'm saying uh, first 11 chapters. That's insane. Yeah. The first half of this story. Technically more than 11 chapters because they also had a couple of issues that were considered the prologues. Oh, like the like the Road 2 or something? Road 2, yeah. Two, yeah. Yeah. Th- there were a lot of those. And then there are two books, an issue of Excalibur and an issue of X-Men that are considered, oh, these are the pre-story issues. I'm like, oh, thanks a lot. Okay. Now, if you haven't been following the X-Men books recently, there are a lot of them now. Uh, There are quite a few titles. You've got X-Men, X-Force, Marauders, New Mutants, Excalibur, Cable, Hellions, X-Factor. Yeah. Oh, uh, let let us not forget Wolverine. Oh, right. Can't, Can't forget Wolverine. And... Crossover-wise, chapter-wise, where these issues are concerned, it flows. Totally flows. Totally, it's all right. But there was literally no lead-up in any of these books except for Excalibur for this story. So a lot of these titles, their their main plots have just kind of stopped. Hmm. It's like, we're going to pause this, and we're going to deal with this situation, and... We'll be back to our regularly scheduled mutant shenanigans after X of Swords. Hmm. So I'm not a not not necessarily a huge fan about that. Four books just started up: Wolverine, Cable, X Factor, and Hellions. So you now have four titles all under the double-digit issue count. And they're a part of this giant crossover. They haven't had enough time, in my opinion, to build up their roster of storytelling for you to get a grip on who these characters are. Uh, Well, the great thing about that is, is that none of that matters because this story decides to just focus on whatever characters they want to focus on. And the writing for this is 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 really fun. It's it is exciting. I mean, it's nothing new. It's it's something old and just wrapped in a nice new package. Which I mean, that's modern comics nowadays. And the majority of it, uh, even though Jonathan Hickman, of course, is spearheading it and you know is in control of of the mutants' destiny, the fact that these issues are written by their individual writers. It, it it's really refreshing. It's nice. It does not feel as bogged down if Jonathan Hickman was writing all twenty two chapters. I personally speaking, I don't I, I don't think I'd be enjoying it that much if Jonathan Hickman was writing all twenty two chapters. I'm going to say this: Jonathan Hickman is an excellent writer. He just thinks a little bit too highly of himself, and he does not care about the audience to which he is supposed to be catering to let's let's let us not mince words here you are writing and controlling the x-men comic book universe there is a fan base that you should be worried about pleasing because if they are not happy they're not going to read the 20 freaking books you're putting out a month right of course right Mm-hmm. So, 
instead of behaving like you're better than the audience that reads your material, maybe you should just take a step back and go, oh, you know what? Maybe I should make this fun again. Because that's what comic books are supposed to be. They're supposed to be fun. And when I have to deal with a layer of complex narrative on top of complex narrative on top of complex narrative, I shouldn't have to read a comic five times to understand what I'm reading. Yeah, that I, that is a major issue I have with writers who approach things very similarly to Hickman. It's like I, I, I should not have to work that difficult to read a 22-page story. Yeah, yeah. And that has first, pictures with it. Right, right. That has pictures. <laughs> right. And, and we will be doing an episode focusing on a review of House of X and Powers of Ten, an official review from Mr. X. And in those books, Hickman introduces text pages where it's, there are no pictures. And if they are, it's diagrams. And it's just either a page or two pages of prose that you need to read to understand what's going to happen moving forward in the story. I had a problem with that at first, but since then, I have acclimated to the situation because rarely have we gone to the two, possibly three pages worth of stuff in between pages with pictures and words. Until we get back to X of Swords. X of Swords, again, is very exposition-heavy, where exposition is all new shit you get to learn about apocalypse so he is the central figure. he is the central figure it's him and his past evidently this is a story that has to have taken place sometime after his original origin but before we know anything else about him after finding the celestial spaceship and unlocking all of those secrets if you have not been following the x-men books you have been missing out on some interesting stuff i i have to tell you this actually the majority of the books are really good except for x-men the, the main book that the main hickman title writes yes the main title the book that hickman writes the early run has been one and done issues which is which is cool but when your stories do not portray the characters in ways that we as longstanding fans know them, then I have a problem. But again, we're not talking about that stuff. We're talking about X of Swords. The lead up to X of Swords, the one thing that you have to understand is the book Excalibur. Because that is the apocalypse-focused book. And unbeknownst to anybody who's been reading X-Men comics for the last, oh, 40 freaking years, Apocalypse has dabbled in mysticism and magic. Who knew? <laughs> okay. Obviously, Jonathan Hickman did. I guess so. Because he's he's responsible for all this. I'm I'm making him responsible for all of this. And this has led to it's the whole new origin for Krakoa as well. Krakoa, when we were first introduced to Krakoa, Krakoa was the island that walked like a man. It was a mutant island that fed off of the energy of mutants. Mm -hmm. 
We read that way back in giant size X-Men number one, and it was shot off into space. Then Jason Aaron takes over the X-Men universe just before A versus X. We have a schism, a schism, however you want to pronounce it. And Wolverine goes off and reopens the school in Westchester, and we've got a Krakoa there. And it turns out, oh, you know, Krakoa is just misunderstood, and he really is a mutant. And he's he's okay. He's he's a good dude. All right. F- fine. I'm, I was actually very cool with that. Yeah, that never and, bothered me. No, no. And then this whole, the, the House of X and Powers of Ten, Krakoa is going to be the new mutant nation. I'm like, okay, well, this is the third time we're trying this. Maybe it's the charm. And I don't know where Krakoa went. And now he's back. And now he's got all this new cool shit attached to him. And now he has some sort of connection to apocalypse it's bizarre all of the new stuff that they just keep adding on to the history the i'm sorry the unknown history of the x-men universe but again that's not important right now what's important is x of swords is really the story of how apocalypse is trying to fix the mistakes of his past His only regret, and this will be the only piece of spoilerific news I give out of this review, his only regret is what led to his isolation and the separation of what used to be all of Krakoa. In the X-Men book, I cannot remember which issue, it might have been three or four, it was the Summers family's outing it was so it was uh, cyclops and rachel and kid cable i think and that was go, issue two because i think two. those are the only the first two issues of x-men are the only two that i have read so yeah. far and and i remember that so it has to be an issue two so issue two there's another island next to krakoa and yeah or island yeah uh, a, a caro or a caro or however yeah. they pronounce it yeah well, turns out in this new continuity that they're writing Akaro and Krakoa used to be one continent that was split in two, and Akaro was taken into another realm, along with Apocalypse's original horsemen, who just so happened to also be his sons and daughters, and his wife. And he has been manipulating mutant kind throughout the ages to get to the point to where he could access them again, hoping that they're still alive. Okay. Okay. So are we saying, are we saying that that's what this whole new approach to the X-Men and they live in their own free nation state and all of that, this was all just a long, 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 long game of apocalypse. So far, it looks like it's pointed in that direction. I cannot say for sure. There is a lot of elements in play here. There are a lot of characters in play here. There's a lot of old X-Men continuity that is being folded in and just made weird. If anybody out there listening read any of the early, original Chris Claremont Excalibur run with Otherworld and the Captain Britain Corps and all of that stuff, guess what? We're back. 
we are folding that stuff, which I'm sorry, I I really didn't care for any of that back in the 80s. I mean, I've, I, I own all of the original run of Excalibur. I've read it all, and it just wasn't something I found interesting. Now, with Otherworld, and it's been, like I've said, it's been a huge player. The whole landscape has been a huge player in the Excalibur book. Otherworld has now turned in, and this is all because of Secret Wars, because of the destruction of the multiverse, and Otherworld was like the nexus, or one of the many nexuses, nexuses of reality. Now, after Secret Wars, since there is no multiverse, Otherworld is kind of not... Otherworld is almost like battle world or whatever it was called during secret wars it was a patched together realm of remnants of different realities that survived through the cracks of the destruction of the multiverse so okay (laughs) and other world is the representation of what's left of the multiverse problem is uh it's not there is a multiverse again i I was gonna say aren't didn't didn't spider gwen or ghost spider or whatever the hell she's called now didn't she go back to something similar to her world i mean aren't there different alternate timeline realities for 2099 now Mm -hmm. there's that but also you read it i read it fantastic four oh right the whole whole beginning of that was reed and sue and the kids came back because they talk about yeah they were done rebuilding the multiverse X of Swords also throws in the, guess what? If a mutant dies in Otherworld, you can't resurrect them properly. Why? Uh, because it's Otherworld, and the the script says so. Because <laughs> comic book magic, that's why. Let's talk about this whole angle of death. This may will come no surprise. This is a big crossover. Uh, guess what? We got to have a death. So there is a death within the first two chapters. Uh, You don't realize that it's an actual permanent death until chapter two, because let us not forget, death means nothing to mutants anymore because they've got that magic resurrection button that they get to hit. And gold balls or egg or whatever the hell he's calling himself. Right. You've got the you got the five who who all work together and, and can resurrect anybody. Well, evidently, a new wrinkle that is now just coming to light. Uh, if you die in Otherworld, Cerebro doesn't get a proper read on your consciousness and, and the download is corrupted. So when you're resurrected, you're you, but you're not you. You are no longer the person that you were. It's like a clean slate. And we had a spoiler warning at the very beginning. I'm going to say it now. Here's the thing. Here's my biggest problem. The character that they killed off in the beginning of this, this, this story mm-hmm. rock slide. What? They've killed rock slide. One of the most interesting and well-developed characters in the last 10, 15 years. And, and I would even argue to say one of the most underutilized Mm -hmm. Uh, a character that that should have graduated to full x-men status a long time ago oh yeah um yeah one of the one of the best new additions 
of the last 15, 20 years. Oh my God, you can't. Oh yeah, man. And not only have they done that, they've, they've killed the character off and there has been absolutely no reaction from any of the young X-Men, any of the X-Men, any of the mutant characters that were part of Academy X or uh, that version of the new mutants when they were called that, uh, especially from his best friend, Anul, nothing. And that I think is the thing that aggravates me the most. Not the fact that they've killed off a really great character, because again, it's comic books. I could write them back. Mm-hmm. I could find a way to fix it. The fact that the, the, the death means nothing to the characters that it would matter to the most. But it seems like the one thing Hickman wants to do is I'm going to show that I'm an X-Men fan by dangling this piece of old X-Men lore in front of your face. And then I'm going to tell you it doesn't matter because I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. Whoa, Mr. X with the F-bomb. Yeah, well, I love the X-Men books. And it seems like when Hickman isn't in direct control of them, I enjoy them. X-Factor is a great book. Marauders is a great book. New Mutants, which Jonathan Hickman actually had a hand in in the first couple of issues, but then since left, is a great book. Most of these X-Men books are great books because once you get away from that whole Krakoa stuff, they focus on the characters and the characters are the characters that you know. They're not trying to pretend that there's somebody different, except when you're reading a book that Jonathan Hickman is writing. So uh, again, I'm very critical because I take the X-Men universe very seriously. But what it really boils down to is what are your thoughts on X of Swords so far, loyal listeners? Let us know. Head on over to our social media sites, Facebook, Twitter, uh, the Instagram. Let me know. I need to know, am I just being too critical where this story is concerned? A crisis. What is a crisis? If not a moment of absolute breakdown, when everything, everything, is called into question. Worlds die, and the fabric of our reality is torn asunder. Anybody that's read a DC comic, you you guys know that crisis is kind of, it's a regular monthly get-together, basically. (laughs) Um, You know, the heroes all get tired of just sitting around, and so they all get together and they have a crisis. It's like a picnic. (laughs) Currently in DC... They have the sequel to Dark Knight's Metal, the Dark Knight's Death Metal, going on. This is being touted as an anti-crisis. Which how do how do how do you even do an anti-crisis? An anti-crisis <laughs> yeah. is not a crisis at all. Right, right. Well, it is. Uh, let me tell you. So. <laughs> We will eventually, in our understanding DC Comics continuity, get to this point at some at some point down at the line, point. and we will yes, and we will devote an entire episode just to death metal because it needs it. So I I am going to really kind of gloss over things, and there will be things that I'm sure people are not going to understand here uh, because we just don't have the time to cover it all. But okay, I I am only about halfway through death metal there are seven issues and what feels like 300 one shots (laughs) 
Oh, and then on top of that, there's also, I think it's a four issues of the Justice League book that tie in. The, the nice thing about death metal, the very first thing I will say is that's it. And obviously I'm exaggerating about the one shots. I think there's 10, I think. But you, you don't have to buy the random whatever Harley Quinn book if you don't read Harley Quinn just to get the crossover piece because there is none. You don't have to get Suicide Squad if you don't read Suicide Squad because it has the death metal banner because they don't do that. It's just the main book and then the one shots. Well, that's nice. Which is nice. The one thing I've noticed is that some of the one shots are just here's more story. Here's stuff that just fleshes out this overall picture a little bit more. But if you skip them, you're not going to miss anything. Whereas other ones should not be a one shot. They should be another issue of the book mm. because they are incredibly important. So here's the here's the deal. Here's here is death metal. Essentially, what has been going on for the last number of years in DC, they were invaded by the Dark Multiverse and the Batman Who Laughs during Metal. And then during Scott Snyder's No Justice, they broke the Source Wall. And they released what was behind the Source Wall, which is a being known as Perpetua. And then during the year of the villain, Perpetua and the Batman who laughs and Lex Luthor have all been kind of vying for control of everything. So that's all kind of, that's a very, very, very quick here. Here's a paragraph breakdown of what led up to this. When you read Death Metal issue one, you are dropped at the end of the story. Oh. You have no idea what is going on. It took me until probably 75% of the way through the first issue to figure out what the hell I was reading. Hmm. But essentially, the war is over. The heroes lost. It's done. And this is now the aftermath. The battle for everything has ended. Lex Luthor, or Apex Lex, as he's been called recently, he and his Legion of Doom have been defeated by Perpetua and the Batman Who Laughs. Hmm. And Perpetua and the Batman Who Laughs have completely and totally taken over everything. And they are rewriting the entire universe as they see fit. So what normally happens in a crisis with DC is you have this big event where you have all the heroes fighting the villain who's trying to rewrite everything. And then at the end, they stop him. But in the process, they rewrite things for the better well this starts that fight is over the bad guy won and he's already rewritten everything so you get dropped into this crazy world where you are on earth zero or earth prime or whatever they call it now yeah and the batman who laughs has taken over and has rewritten the entire landscape in a age of apocalypse style manner there are dark Batman from the dark multiverse that have invaded with him and each one takes over a different area of the world and it you know the issues come with a map like the old age of apocalypse books do it comes with mm. a map of how things are broken down like there are the Arkham wastelands 
and there's Megapocalypse, and uh, the Wasteland area, which is called the Fall of Captain Adam. So as you're reading Death Metal, you're discovering what has all transpired. The sun has been turned into a new apocalypse. Darkseid and the New Gods are gone, and I, I still at this point do not know what happened to them. But they are gone, and Superman has been held in the center of the sun, which is now New Apocalypse, and he is being fed with anti-life, which is turning him into, you know, an absolute all-powerful nasty being. The Batman who laughs has given jobs to all of the heroes who surrendered. It's basically like the bad guy won. You can either keep fighting him and he'll throw you in his prison on New Apocalypse, or you can agree to work for him whether you want to or not. Well, Wonder Woman chose that option, and she basically runs Themyscira, which is the new underworld. It's hell, essentially. She is the warden of hell. And that's where many of the Gotham rogues gallery have been imprisoned. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Bruce Wayne from our world, the real Bruce Wayne, is of course still out there trying to, you know, fight the good fight. Damn straight. What you discover, which again has not been fully explained yet, and I'm hoping that by the end of this it will be, but apparently every time there is a crisis, there is a crack in reality. No matter how well it gets put back together, the crack is there, and it creates this energy, and it's a crisis energy, Hmm. which is what Perpetua is feeding on. So the plan in issue one by Wonder Woman and and Batman is they're going to go to New Apocalypse, break Clark out, then they're going to marshal their forces, and they're going to go to the five or five or six, I forget how many there are, five or six worlds in the multiverse that are left because Perpetua has been wiping them all out and feeding off of each one's individual energy. Well, I mean, it's a crisis. That's what you do. You wipe out the multiverse. Right. That's what you do. They are calling this an anti-crisis, I think, because the plan is to go to these worlds where the tuning forks, the same tuning forks from the original crisis, have been set up destroy the tuning forks, stop the destruction in the regular multiverse, and then go to the dark multiverse and pull the crisis energy from there so that you can put everything back to the way it was. So, and I mean everything back to the way it was pre-1985 crisis. It is an anti-crisis in the sense of we're going to put it all back. Do you think that's where things are are leading to is at the point that I have read, it feels like that's where it was going. But when Superman, Wonder Woman and Batman go into the dark multiverse, Mm -hmm. they pick three worlds in the dark multiverse that are experiencing three of the most prominent crises of history. The crisis on infinite earths, the infinite crisis and the final mm. crisis. Okay. Okay. When they get there, they're trying to get there before the moment where things take a bad turn, like they always do in the dark multiverse. 
so that if they can get there before that, then they can pull that energy and get back and stop Perpetua. But once they do, the Batman who laughs has sent his new ally into the Dark Multiverse to these places to speed up the process. And uh, at the end of the issue, his ally was revealed to be Superboy Prime. Hell yeah. Yep. <laughs> Love that kid. There are, there are two major issues I have with death metal. Number one, man, you got to read these in a block. They do not read. I, I cannot see how they would read well as individual issues because there is so freaking much going on. So this is a bit, this is like a binge story. You have to sit yes. with a, a brick of books. Yes. And you read have to. through okay. to, to really, and you really got to take your time. And really comprehend. When you do, it's amazing. But you really got to pay attention to what you're reading. It's probably the biggest crisis since the original crisis at this point. My other major problem is the one thing that I love the most about the book. If you don't know DC history, man, you're lost. Uh, Okay, yeah. Like you guys, all all four of us, just between the episodes of the show that we've done on understanding DC continuity alone, we know enough. You guys would know enough that you probably would be able to follow it enough. There might be things here or there you wouldn't get, but for the most part, you'd be able to follow it. Mm -hmm. But if you're a new reader coming in and reading this, man, there's no way. There is just no way. So this is not a good jumping in point. It is not (laughs) a good jumping in book. I am. It's death metal. Come bring people who have never read a DC comic before. Right, right. It's really good. I, I've really been enjoying it. And there, are, there's a one-shot, the Trinity Crisis one-shot. Well, that's the issue where Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman go to the Dark Multiverse. Why is that a one-shot? That should be Death Metal issue three or wherever it falls. Yeah, that sounds like it needs to be a part of the actual main story. That's a big, big story. There's a um, Speed Metal, which is all about the Flashes. Mm-hmm. It's really, really important. <laughs> And deals heavily with how the Speed Force is falling apart as a result of all of this. And that book details a lot of the history of the DC Universe more. That feels like an important book. I just read the one-shot Multiverse's End. Multiverse's End, the Green Lantern Corps have been sent out to the last remaining Earths. The the ones that have the, the tuning forks. And they have to destroy the tuning forks. And it's the darkest of the regular multiverse Earth. So you have Earth 3 with the crime syndicate. You've got Earth X with the Nazis and the freedom fighters. You've got... Oh, wow. I forget what Earth it is that, that has the vampire heroes, but there's that one. And Anyway, so it's the, it's the bad regular multiverse Earths that have mm. the tuning forks. And the Green Lantern Corps are sent out there. And anybody whose Earth has perished but they survived, they're on these Earths fighting as well. So you have like the the Just Imagine Stan Lee Wonder Woman there, and you have uh, Captain Carrot and so on and so <laughs> forth. In that book, Owlman on Earth 3 has a very lengthy conversation with someone he's captured and taken prisoner, which is Jon Stewart. Hmm. And Jon Stewart essentially lays out the history of the multiverse in a way that was fairly understandable, actually. Again, it was such a big book. It's like, why is that a one-shot? Why mm-hmm. isn't that part of the main book? It's a fascinating 
way to do a DC crisis story. Very different from any of the crises that have happened prior. And I'm, I'm very interested to see where it's going to go. I mean, there's still a number of, of things and various different views of these characters. I mean, you know, the Batman who laughs has taken over the earth and everything's changed. So Nightwing and Hawkgirl and Detective Chimp are leading a, an underground rebellion, but they look totally different. And it's, it's, you know, it has that Age of Apocalypse feel, only it's not an alternate reality. This is, this is Earth. This is Earth Prime or whatever. Right. I'm very much looking forward to how they're going to deal with the new gods. The the new god one shot just came out, so I'm hoping that that deals heavily with that. And they're putting out some more tales of the dark multiverse one shots that uh, I'm excited about and, and hoping that they will expand on on this whole concept of the multiverse. But they are definitely doubling down, and rather than destroying it looks like they're going to recreate the complete infinite multiverse in the end. Holy crap. My big question about the whole thing is, is that knowing what we know because of solicitations and announcements, we know that we are getting in the beginning of the year, the, what are they calling it? Future state. Future state. We're getting the future state story, Mm -hmm. which is going to take, January and February, right? Essentially, and it's it's basically taking what was supposed to be five G mm-hmm. and turning it into its own thing, to where it's not going to change the DC it's, universe. No, they're they're taking what was an initiative and turning it into just a two month event. Right, right. But after that, we go back to regular numbering, regular stories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What effect? will future state have regarding death metal in the future because whatever happens in death metal has to matter because it's comics and it's dc right right it seems like one month things do matter and then four months later oh yeah you don't gotta worry about that that doesn't really matter anymore well i'm sure that you guys aren't aren't as aware because you don't you know, have your finger on the DC pulse as much as I do. It's just not as much of your, your thing, but there, there is another event in between future state and death metal that is coming in December. Really? It's a month long event called endless winter. And it is primarily a justice league event. I think it's six or seven issues, something like that. And it will be done by the end of the year. And they say that death metal and endless winter are somehow connected. And I'm wondering how much of that, has to do with future state Mm. and what will the landscape be like i mean this is all very exciting and i'm super excited for future state i think as an event as opposed to a line-wide change i think it sounds awesome and i can't wait i'm gonna get every damn one of them because i just i I think it's such a cool concept but i'm i'm totally on board with everything dc's doing from now until the end of february my question is how does all of this affect what happens starting in March? Mm. What will the landscape be like then? But that's where, you know, we want to ask all of you guys. What do you think about death metal? How do you think it will connect to Endless Winter and Future State? Have you been reading it? Have you been following it? 
Hit us up at any one of our social media outlets. You know what they are. And don't forget, you can also find us on YouTube. You can hit us up on any one of our videos in the comments there or send us a message through that. We'd love to hear from you. Uh-oh, you guys hear that? Neat. This guy again. I'll show you a crisis. This is the way. The Mandalorian, Season 2, Episode 1. I don't know about you guys. I watched it the other night. It, it just came out. It is everything I want it to be in The Mandalorian. Season 1 was fantastic. Season 2 picks up right where Season 1 left off at. And they jam-packed this episode full of Easter eggs. And not only is this just Easter eggs, but like a really kind of good story that helps like the whole overall story. It was just amazing. Like, I think I actually prepared like a snack and a drink and forgot the snack and drink existed while I was watching it because I had such a good time with it. My wife actually sat down and watched the episode with me, and it was her first experience with Baby Yoda. And of course, she oohed and odd and giggled and all that at Baby Yoda until he closes his uh, little uh, hover basket and murders everybody at the at the at the fight. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, I'm like, yeah, it's it's fairly adult, but Baby Yoda is adorable." This actually spoils some lore from the OG Star Warses. You know, like the Mandalorian gets gets clues. Is like his whole task from the end of season one is to return Baby Yoda to its people. So he's like, "How am I supposed to do that?" They're like, "Go find other factions of the Mandalorians that are hiding uh, throughout all the galaxy. They can help guide the way." So he's like, "Okay." So he so he knows a guy who knows of where one Mandalorian is. Goes to him, talks to him, gets the info. It's on tattooing. Of course, it's on tattooing. Everything happens. Of on course. But and, and at first, when I heard that, I was like, I, you know, I roll. Like, really, everything's on tattooing. But when he gets there, they're like, oh, this is a city that we've never heard of before. At least I haven't heard of before. And, uh, you know, she's like, it's a little small mining town. There's words of a Mandalorian that, like, lives there. He's like, okay. He gets there and he's at the bar and he asks, hey, you know, the bartender, have you seen a Mandalorian? And the guy's like, oh, you mean the sheriff? And he's like, what? And then, like, in walks the sheriff and it is. Boba Fett's armor, like beaten to hell, old, banged up, and your mouth just kind of drops. Like, what? And then, like, you hear the voice, and I'm like, I know that voice. And it's none other than Timothy Oliphant voicing this character. And you find out that it's not Boba Fett, but it's the guy who found Boba Fett's armor, and he's been wearing it because it helped, like, defeat the Sand People, and it's been helping, like, defeat, like, bandits coming through town. So the Mandalorian's like, hey, I can't let you keep that. That, that's got to come with me. So Timothy Elephant's like, fine, I'll give you the armor in one condition. You help me kill a crate dragon, which for Star Wars nerds, the only time you've ever really seen one of those is in either the video games or at the very beginning of A New Hope when C-3PO and R2-D2 land on Tatooine. You see the skeleton in one of the frames as they're walking through the desert. Right. So that's like, so you're nerding out. And the whole episode is them trying to kill this crate dragon. And they gang up with uh, the Sand People and the Townsfolk get together. You have the Mandalorian, and then you have Timothy Elephant using Boba Fett's armor to take this thing down. And what an awesome, epic fight episode that was. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, a friend of mine uh, gave me a book to read. It's a series called The Mandalorian Armor. It's a Star Wars Legends book. And he's telling me, as he's seen the first episode as well, that some of the plot points from season two are loosely based on things that happen in this book. So I'm going to be reading it to see if what he says is true. Man, what a good episode. Especially the the slow stare down between Timothy Oliphant and the Mandalorian. Oh, right yeah. 
dude, they're going to do like the old Western, like draw from the hip gun battle. And then they get up not, but like it was yeah. intense and it was awesome. I totally agree. That was a phenomenal moment. And the crate dragon fight was everything I loved about it. Like it was so huge. Like as a D and D nerd, that was beautiful to me. It's like, oh, seeing yeah. like a drag, it's a dragon in real life. Right. Like when it came crashing through the, the mountaintop, just spewing acid everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, got... that, it's acid attack. I was like, Oh, one of my favorite scenes of that or funniest moments was I was watching it and they have one of the Banthas bait. Right. And there's a sand person next to it. And right. Mrs. Murphy was like, Oh, they're not going to kill the little like elephant guy. Are they? I go, honey, that's how bait works. And the sand person gets eaten, and she goes, "Good, he deserves it." And I was like, "Wow, <laughs> wow. Like, wow!" Like, okay, honey. And she's like, "Well, that's what you get for tying up this innocent creature." And I was like, "Wow!" Like, it made just made me laugh when she was like, "Good, the thing has lived." But then at the end, when a lot of them get eaten, she wasn't so happy. But I just thought that moment was really funny. So I was yeah. like, oh. "Yeah, it, it was a it was a good story." Uh, and I agree with you. I like that it was a different city at the very least on Tatooine. Right. Like it's like, yes, it's the same planet. I roll different city, smaller city. And like the buildings look different, which is cool. So I was like, okay. If you're bringing in the possibility of Boba Fett coming back, you have to, you have to be on Tatooine. Yes. And that was the thing that I thought was brilliant. It's Olaf. Oliphant shows up in the Mandalorian are in the, uh, and I'm using air quotes here. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, watching the clone wars, you know that Boba Fett is not a real Mandalorian. Right. Mm-hmm. He's just using the armor. Right. Okay. But we all know that Boba Fett died, quote unquote, in the Sarlacc pit in the beginnings of Return of the Jedi. Right. So to see his armor just standing there, you're like, oh, crap. Exactly. Like, could, it's, could we yeah. finally get that story of holy crap, Boba Fett did survive, and you're led to believe that it's just the armor that survives, and and of course, you know, you've well, got Olafantastic who is playing this this martial character, who I'm I'm just gonna say Timothy Olafant's been typecast now because it's it's literally like I don't know if anybody's watched Justified, but it's like he was playing the. Oh, the man. character Raylan Givens, right? All, right. I mean, it was literally yeah, right? like you just you just move him from Earth to Tatooine and put Boba Fett's armor on him, and it, it was just like that. Because he was a, he was level headed. He was willing to make a deal. Like, hey, man, I know yeah. I gave the armor, but I need I need a favor in return. And the man who learns, like, I accept those terms, and he's like, great. And then they're like, <laughs> they go like, we need more people. Hey, we they run to the Sand People. Let's get them on our side. And he's like, oh, why did St. Peter agree to fight? Well, I volunteered your village as well. <laughs> he's like, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> he's like, it's not part of the deal. <laughs> Timothy Oliphant's uh, character's name is Cobb Vance. Yes. And uh, the reason he's the appointed sheriff, uh, I feel, is right in line with Justified. Smurfy, how, do, how does he come uh, across that armor? He runs away from his town. As soon as the Death Star was blown up, the mining, I guess, some, some mining faction, current crime lord guys, came through, wiped out his town. He escapes. Uh, he's wandering through the desert. He almost has a dehydration when he comes across uh, a job. Like he grabs like one bag from like the bandits and leaves. And when he gets to the Jawas, like they kind of get him and they're willing to trade for whatever he has in his little sack. And he opens it and it's Kyber crystals. I think it was Kyber crystals, some sort of crystals. It and was Kyber crystals. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And so he's willing. So he's like, "I'll trade these," and they're like, "We'll give you whatever we want." So they not only give him water, but he's looking around and he sees Boba Fett's armor sitting in the sand crawler. And he's like, I'll take that. 
and they give it to him. So he goes back and murders all of like the underlord that like wiped out his town to reclaim his town again. Pretty it's badass. Right. Yeah. And they even yeah, do a scene it's... right out of almost Iron Man where he the bandits are running away in the car and he puts on a little eye targeting system and he bends over and that rocket shoots out and blows him up. And it is one of the coolest scenes ever. It's yeah. It, it, he effectively uses the Boba Fett armor more so than the movies did with yeah. Boba Fett in his armor. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, did you guys notice when the Mandalorian goes, Hey man, do good to Timothy Elephant's character. Like, Hey, you know, I wish you the best. He goes, what are you talking about? And he hits him in the backpack and he flies away. It's the same spot when that Han Solo hit Boba Fett in, in the jetpack to make it fly away. Yeah, I did. I don't know if, I don't know if you guys caught that or not, but I was like, it's the exact same spot. And so I was like, Mandalorian must have saw like, Ooh, there's a chink in that armor. Bink. Guy flies away. I laughed. A couple of times when they use the visor to scout things out. Yes. They almost are recreations of episode one with Luke doing that to find uh, R2-D2. Yeah, exactly. Like that old, that that, that imaging, right? Except his is flickering because that armor has been around the block a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I think one of the things that I appreciated the most about this first episode, I love the series in general because there is a stylized feel to the show it is very much a western and your character of the mandalorian is very much your your lone gunslinger your lone samurai it's got a little bit of western feel it's got a little bit of last ronin it's like lone wolf uh, and cub lone wolf yeah. and cub it's it's yeah. it's got yeah. a, it's got a lot of great elements and this episode specifically it was a Western. It, it's literally the small town. Oh yeah. That has been besieged by savages. Right. Must team up with said savages to stop a greater threat. You just taken that Western story and you've put it on a planet far, far away in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's brilliant. It is an absolute brilliant concept but I think the most brilliant thing about everything is the last 20 freaking seconds of this episode. You find out Boba Fett is still alive. Alive? And what kind of weaponry does he have? Did you notice? He had sand people's weapons on him, which I thought was very interesting. Like he had the club. So I was like, oh, is that how he's surviving? Has he been hanging out with the sand people? Hmm. I hope we find out more. I don't think we will. I think this is kind of the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's the end. I think, and I kind of like that they broke the trope of going back on your word. Like what I mean is, you know, Tilmouth the Oliphant proved himself, a, you know, a big fighter. He saved his town. He was willing to do all the sacrifices. So in theory, what what I thought would happen was that the Mandalorian would be like, no, you've proved yourself worthy of a Mandalorian fighting spirit, blah, 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 that bullshit. Keep keep the armor. Yeah. Yeah, keep the armor and protect your town. Like I'm protecting this little one. But he didn't. He was like, all right, cool. Deal's a deal. And I'm I'm gone. I'm getting a piece of dragon meat and I'm out. (laughs) Yeah. No, dude. I I I knew I was like, he's gonna take that armor because that was the deal. And with the Mandalorian, that's how it works. A deal's a deal. Like that's the honor. There's an honor in the deal. And he's just like, Hey, I appreciate your help. We are now friends. Give me the armor, give me my bacon. I'll see you guys later. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't want dragon meat? Who wouldn't right? try that? And he took, he took a big old slab of that. He took a bit, took a big I old T bone with him. Did you see how big that thing? Yeah, <laughs> dude, it was big. It was bigger. It was bigger than the child. 
Yeah, like, and the dragon was absolutely massive because most of it's still underground. They're going to be taking that out for right. weeks. Yeah. Right. This oh. excites me because not only do we have the Mandalorian season two, but starting the beginning of 2021, we are finally getting what we should have got uh, middle of 2020. We're finally getting the High Republic stuffs oh, from yeah. Star Wars. Okay. Uh, Marvel is releasing the comic book series in January, and as long as shipments come out on time, the book stuffs should be dropping also in January of 2021, all revolving around the High Republic era of Star Wars, which is about 200 years before The Phantom Menace. So we are, I do believe, going to get young Yoda as a Jedi Knight cruising around the galaxy, stopping bad guys, along with a whole bunch of other stuffs. Fighting crime. Fighting galactic crime. That's right. So yes, be on the lookout because my big fat pull list will definitely be talking about all future Star Wars stuffs heading our way. Let me ask you guys something real quick, too. In season one of The Mandalorian, which we will talk about at a later time. Oh, yeah. That's a whole different podcast, buddy. Yeah, right? In episode Mm -hmm. five, I want to say, he's on Tatooine. Yes. After they kill, and again, we're in spoiler territory. After they kill Ming-Wah's character, there's someone who walks up to him, but you don't see who it is. Right, you see a boot. Yeah, do you think that was Boba Fett. I yeah. do. I-, I thought that when we first saw it, and now I'm kind of like, okay, there's even more evidence to confirm that it's him. Okay, I, I agree yeah. with you. Uh, I just wanted to see if if we all were on the same page. I think that was an excellent way to set up him for season two or a you know, later season. You know, Tatooine's not going anywhere, right? Not like Alderaan. <laughs> oh, too soon, Alderaan. bro. Too soon, man. <laughs> too, too soon, soon. bro. I'm just saying it's in Alderaan places. Oh my god. What do you hope to see this season? Hit us up, listeners, at all of our social media, including YouTube. Oh, you were released. You escaped quickly. Interesting. Boy, I, I got to tell you guys, uh, uh, you know, that was weird. The Psycho Podcaster, you know, he, he's got a message for us. Oh. Again? Yeah, he's got a message for us. Hmm. Hope the world's not in trouble. Well, he's saying that uh, we better hurry up and get to the rest of our understanding DC Comics continuity because apparently we're only a couple episodes away from another crisis, and he says he's gonna pl- he's planning another visit. So who knows what that means? Oba oh, noba. So what you're saying is we if we never tackle DC again. He's out of luck. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I think that then there's just the no opposite. way to eventually get rid of him. Ah, okay. I think we got to play it out. Those were our current issues, ladies and gentlemen. We hope you found the content entertaining and informative. Until our next installment, I am Mr. X. I'm Smurfy. I'm Dr. Impact. And I'm the lovable and rapscallious Mark Danger, always on assignment in a town near you. And remember, no matter how dark things get, you can't spell manslaughter without laughter. <laughs> That's our show, folks. 
Tell your friends and family about our program. What he means is you and everyone you know should subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on every app possible. Want to help support the show? Visit our Patreon page. We have a variety of incentives at multiple tiers, sure to satisfy any and all hardcore geeks. You can also follow us on social media where we post weekly comic pics, breaking news stories, and glimpses into our everyday geek lives. Until next time, keep your turtle shells waxed. (laughs) Your power rings charged. And your proton packs primed. Ooh, what's this do? No, Smurfy, not the containment unit. I, I, I did not have time to come up with cool little phrases for the beginning of each one of our segments. So uh, good luck. Godspe- <laughs> Godspeed to all of you. Godspeed, gentlemen. <laughs> I wanted to bring up the correspondence to essentially make the killing joke canon now, because that is what that origin story is from. Right. Well, yeah, killing joke has been canon. Yeah, but killing joke has been canon for a while. Okay. Because killing killing whole... joke killing joke has been canon since uh, sometime around zero hour. Since okay, like ninety four, had... ninety five. Oh, okay. Well, I'm the asshole then that didn't read enough DC to, to put that together. <laughs> you got me again, Flash. I didn't say it, so. So, Dr. Impact, I had to go out and buy two more long boxes and a short box because my collection is getting out of control. Nice. Yep. So, so. well, I've added 10 more boxes. Holy oh, crap. Lord. Where? Um, Where do you put them physically? I know. I know, place? right? Yeah. In the attic? <laughs> and, and the Marvel stuff and the DC stuff, with the exception of Thor and uh, Aquaman, they, they are separated. But other than that, it's all in chronological story reading order god you and that Mr. I, X do that and that's crazy. i have been i've been that's doing crazy. that with dc as i've been going through and reading Man. for understanding dc continuity i've been putting all of my dc stuff into a full reading order does it help you understand it any better yes it does <laughs> actually yes it does and thank god i've been doing that otherwise i wouldn't have understood death metal at all <laughs>